and we are live Woo live and broadcasting um from my facebook business page i'm just putting in filler time because i'm not entirely sure if this is actually ready to go yet and live on my business page but i think we are let's get this going um so welcome welcome everybody to another segment focusing on the take charge challenge a uh, three-day event happening next week uh live um for those who obviously for those who register with 12 coaches all experts in their own field in their own right and i'm doing a series this week and next where i get to introduce you to some of the awesome people there so with me tonight is the awesome amazing carol hunter welcome carol and thank you for joining us tonight on this particular segment Thank you so much, Rebecca. I'm so excited to be with you. And I know this is going to be an excellent time for us to talk about the Take Charge Summit that's coming up. Mm -hmm. Yep, that, you know, I'm so glad you are here. I know we were kind of talking a little bit beforehand about how I have a really, well, I am mending my relationship with money. So, you know, when you call yourself the money mender, um, you're like my, my uh, guardian angel here on my shoulder. I grew up with, you know, tons of it. And then I married very young and I'm like, Hey, ex-husband, you deal with it. And then one day I was on my own and descended horrifically and very quickly into six figures of debt and spent four years clawing my way out of it. Um, and so, you know, the relationship that I have with money and that other people have with money particularly in these pandemic times can be shaky sometimes at best. So really glad um, to, to have you here and to share a little bit of your expertise and advice on what people can do to make sure that when even no matter what happens, that we can take care of yourself. So really, I mean, the, the floor is yours. Where do you think is a good place for us to start for tonight's conversation? first of all, you know, because your audience may be meeting me for the first time and I am the money mender, basically it's a simple explanation when people say, well, what does it mean to be a money mender? What, what does a money mender do? So when you think about the word mend, that means that you are repairing something that's broken. And so what I do is whether you had a relationship that was good, I love the fact that you used the word relationship, so whether your relationship was um, coming from a place of wealth or like myself, coming from a place of very humble beginnings, when you have a money mender present in your midst, that means that I am able to help you mend your broken finances. And oftentimes when people hear broken finances, they automatically think, oh, my credit score is not good. Oh, I don't have enough money saved. But broken finances can also mean that you're nearing the age of retirement and you don't have enough money for your retirement years. Broken mm -hmm. finances could mean that you find yourself in what we call now the sandwich generation where your elderly parents are now having to move back into your house with you and your college age children that are not able to find a job after spending their four or five years in college are coming back home and your money was not ready for that. So that means that your finances are broken or you're like, particularly in the United States of America, where a lot of businesses abruptly were closed, shut down, lost due to the pandemic. And you were not, for whatever reason, able to qualify for the PPE loan assistance and grant money that was out there. Your 
finances and money is definitely broken. If you lost your only source of income, you've got to somehow mend that because that stream of income has got to be restored. So broken finances can mean a lot of things to different people. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely. And um, it's, it's terrifying when you get caught out with a broken relationship with, with money and then, you know, something like the, the pandemic hits. So, you know, and, and, and I, I was mentioning this before we, we got on completely for my benefit, because I am still in the mending phases with my money. Um, I don't quite have that choking feeling when I go and open my finances. You know, when I go to pay my bills, um, I actually pay them on time. You know, that really wonderful thing. If, if you don't look at it, I'm sure it'll go away. Yeah, that didn't work for me. It, uh, it ended poorly. So... <laughs> So let's talk to, because there's a lot of people who are going to be listening who are in difficult situations, whether they've lost a job, their significant other has lost their job, or worst case, both, or they're just, they're just impacted like one, like at the beginning of COVID, like call it, you know, let's go back even nine months. Um, I was running two businesses. One was a marketing agency and the other one is my coaching practice. Now I always had it in sight to really scale up the coaching practice and gently, you know, wind down the agency. Well, let's just say that COVID <laughs> sped that process up because a lot of clients just said, you know, we're going to pull back. And so in some cases, especially for entrepreneurs who also are people that I, I talk to, it's not that their, you know, their job went away, but their business was scaled back considerably as people just sort of like hunkered down um, and kind of went into hibernation mode. So we, let's, if we can just like start there in terms of where we're at, um, you know, the, the shit's hit the fan, the money is gone or less. What advice do you give people now to, to start? I mean, it's, it's a bit late to plan. Obviously the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is right now. So what can people do right now if they've been caught out without, uh, without the proper reserves? And maybe then after that, you can talk about what it means to build reserves so people can build in better habits for the future. Well, definitely, you know, with the scenario that you just painted, one of the things that you have to do, you know, as a business person, you're very transparent about where you were, where you've been, where you are, and how your plan was shifted because of the pandemic, which was way out of your control. And so a lot of it has to do with your attitude, because you didn't see that as defeat. You didn't see that as oh my God, I'm not going to make it. So what you have to do is, okay, it's like taking the remnant of what you have to work with. And every business is going to look different, but inside of what you normally do, there are skills that you're going to have to pull on and recreate yourself. You have to make those skills do something different to generate money. I'll give an example. In my line of work, um, I'm a coach. But a lot of my engagement was live. I love the live stage. I love being in the room, touching the people. I love the moment and so do the people that follow me and attend my conferences. But when the pandemic happened, I was like, oh, okay, well, you can't gather like you used to in large settings in buildings that are now shut down. So what I did was I shifted everything to Zoom and Google Meet because I had to reintroduce myself 
to those persons that didn't particularly like to be trained and coached in a uh, virtual environment, there are some people that just really felt like they couldn't learn virtually. And so mm -hmm. I had to help them retrain their mindset so that my revenue stream would not dry up just because we had to do something different. So when you find yourself, especially when it's beyond your control, no one saw this coming for most of us. You have to immediately look at what you do have to work with and not what you don't or what you lost and say, how can this become marketable? How can I convert these skills into uh, income for myself? You know, I have uh, a lot of people that I know in my life, they were doing work like as chefs. They were cooking for people. They were going into people's homes. Well, what they decided to do was started offering cooking classes via YouTube and on Zoom. And so since they couldn't come into the people's houses, well, they were charging a fee now for people to come mm -hmm. online to figure out how to still get those nice nutritious meals, but you had to do it a different type of way because this was their lifeline. This was their bread and butter. This is what paid their mortgages and their rents and their car payments and their utilities. They didn't have any time to have a pity party. And a lot of these people, Rebecca, did not have an emergency reserve set aside. So they were truly in emergency crisis mode and they had to think fast. They had to think on their feet like never before. Yeah, and that's and that's a terrifying thing, um, you know, because when you're scared, it makes it very difficult to think creatively. And so, you know, the like the example that you gave of like, okay, can't do live anymore. Let's flip to the online world, um, and then still charge for it, right? Because and there's lots of ways to set those things up. Um, like that's awesome to make that pivot. And I, yet there's a lot of people who like like you said, it's a mindset, it's an attitude, it's a decision you make of well, this is going to be a little bit more difficult. Like I remember when the pandemic hit, I was really just in the early stages of scaling up my coaching practice. I'd made the decision, agency's going to close, really want to do coaching because it's just where my heart's work is. And I absolutely love it. And I want to do something I love every day. You know, yeah, I can write a killer Facebook ad, but does that make me really excited about my day? Not really, um, but coaching really did. <laughs> so then the pandemic hit and I'm like, well, so what do I do now? Um, and I likened it to an Easter egg hunt. There's just fewer eggs. And so I've got to go and just, you know, scale up what it, what it was that I would do that would actually bring in the clients um, and then pivot a little bit on the way that I offer my services. Now I'm completely online and I have been for 10 years. I was like a virtual company before virtual was cool. Um, and uh, so for me, it wasn't that much of a pivot to go from in-person to online. I still did lots of live stuff and I absolutely love that kind of a thing. Um, but, you know, still being able to say, okay, this is not like, I don't, not, I don't need to roll up my carpet and go home. Like this is like you said, dig deep. And the one thing that I mean, I'm sure you communicate this and I love to communicate this um, is there is no excuse we need to give ourselves. There is something within us all that we can allow to like step up and kind of go, okay, what have I got? And where can I go with this? And, you know, and how can I make, um, you know, something out of what looks like not much. It's like the MacGyver of whatever it is that we're doing. 
That is so true. And one thing about fear, as a business owner especially, you cannot do this from a place of fear because that's mm-hmm. going to come across as desperate. Mm-hmm. And your audience, you know, your customers, your client, they're going to see that. So you've got to be confident, you know, like you, I was probably 50% because of my programs that I offer virtually. The good thing is I had already made a switch to a virtual platform in some areas of my mm-hmm. business. And so that lessened the anxiety that I possibly could have had if I had not done that at all, because, you know, I'm a baby boomer and, and our brain capacity can only handle so much because we didn't come out of the womb with technology before us. We had rotary phones and, and no cell phones. And so it's more of an effort for us to want to be technology all the time. We're really okay with either way, which is probably why I kind of like still being live. However, I wasn't afraid. And I also knew that for those people, because there is a certain percentage of people in my audience that just wanted me live. And it was like, well, when are you coming back live? I said, I can't control the pandemic. So I can't come back until the world opens up for us to do that. So it was my job so that I would not lose them as a customer. It was my job to make the virtual world friendly and inviting and fun and likable so that their mindsets would be okay with, well, since I can't have her live, she's still giving me this awesome information that I can take and run with and keep my life where it needs to be with my finances. So the work is on me making sure that the same confidence that I speak with when I'm live and conditions are good, I have to have that same level of confidence. And so my conversation cannot center around, well, gee, I'm just doing this because the pandemic happened and I'm not really good at this, but let's try work with me. No, you just get on Zoom like, all right, let's go. I'm pressing record. Um, turn your mic to, I'm muting everybody. All right, turn your camera on, <laughs> camera on. It's like, we're still in the big auditorium. We're just in the auditorium called Virtual World. And then you invite your people to get used to this new climate that we have to operate in. So that's so important, Rebecca, as a business owner, having to recreate yourself and dig deep and pull from those other skills. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, for my follow-up question now, and I, again, totally self-serving for me to ask this question as well. What, how does someone start to properly plan for that reserve and how much do we have? Because I was reading a book and I can't remember if it's the richest man in Babylon or the measure what, I can't remember what book it is, but they were suggesting um, that typically that you would have six months in reserves, but now just because of everything being so much more uncertain and not certain of like, call it like five, even 10 years down the road, like could something like this roll around again, maybe having a 12 month reserve is what's necessary. Can you talk to it? I mean, that, that just seems um, like such a, 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 a tall mountain to climb and like getting started on that just seems almost monumental. I know for some people who maybe have never been in that sort of safe mode, that's certainly me. Um, how do you get started and what's the process to stay committed to it? Okay, so I'm going to answer this, Rebecca, in a two-part answer. Um, so first of all, yes, it is recommended prior to COVID-19 
um, that we have three to six months at a minimum of whatever our monthly expenses are. So for example, um, in US dollars, if your monthly expenses are $3,000, at a minimum, you needed $9,000 to have some type of reserve. Now, it's not easy to save $9,000 when you have other expenses. Post-COVID, you are so right. Having at least a year is definitely something that you should shoot for. And that's gonna take a minute Everybody's income is at a different level. Everybody's expenses are at a different level. But having that goal, you know, that's your metric. My metric is a year. I don't know how long it's going to take me to get there, but at some point, I need to have a year's worth of money. And let me tell you why, uh, in terms of part two, especially in the United States, I know those statistics a lot more than, say, Canada. It has already been projected because of the recession that has happened as a result of the pandemic over here in the States, it is already projected, number one, that a high number of jobs will never come back for a couple of reasons. One, they just won't be able to sustain themselves. And secondly, employers realize, oh, we can work at home with less people and still be efficient. Well, we're going to streamline, we're going to restructure we don't need all of these people. We can cut our overhead. We don't need all these buildings. Mm -hmm. That in itself is going to create some eternal furloughing and ultimately layoffs and terminations. But the other part is there are statistics out for the United States that are projecting that it will not be until 2023 until we actually start to see a turnaround with this whole fallout of the recession and restarting our economy. Now think about it. We're right near the fourth quarter of 2020. We already know based on what happens with 2021, that's gonna be a year of uncertainty as well. Mm -hmm. Then it's gonna take time for all of this stuff to play out and new rules and regs and governmental laws and IRS tax codes, all of this stuff is going to have to be rewritten while people are trying to survive. So we're talking about right now, three to six months versus an economy that's not even going to start to see light again until 2023. In reality, one year is really not going to suffice if you lost your income. So what I say to people is, if you know, for example, um, you need $27,000 or $36,000 or whatever that number is, take it and break it down into realistic bite-sized pieces that do not create anxiety for you. Start with, I'm going to save a thousand. When you get to a thousand, okay, I'm gonna save another thousand. I'm gonna do the same thing I did to save that thousand and get to another thousand. Because when we think 9,000 versus a thousand, we lock up, we get scared. We're like, there is no way I can see how. And you're right, there is no way I can see how. But if you'll stop eating out for lunch every day, if you will scale back on some of your wants and remember that your need is an emergency reserve, and that for a season, you just got to make sacrifices. I use this example all the time, Rebecca. Rebecca, when people tell me, well, Carol, I, I mean, I just can't see how I can start saving money. <laughs> I say, okay, at a minimum, 
You spend $10 a day for lunch, five days a week. That is $50 a week. That is $200 a month. That is $2,400 a year. And if you and your boo do the same thing, that's $4,800. Please don't tell me that you cannot save $5,000 in a year if you just take your lunch. <laughs> the money mender. And I vote for, for a year, take your lunch so you can have $5,000 in your bank account that's free and clear and not committed to somebody. Yeah, that's, you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting when you put things into perspective. The other thing that I know you can also do, so I'll just give my Canadian reference. I'm assuming American banks can do this too, but you can run reports that show a breakdown of where you're spending your money. And let me tell you, when I was first trying to, you know, with one eye closed, just kind of like get closer to my money and not be quite so frightened of it, uh, mostly because it was negative and red and quite frightening. Um, but I would break it down and I'm like, Ooh, I spend a lot of money on like restaurants, right? I grew up going out to restaurants. I love, we loved going out every Friday. We would go to the same place. It was called the Armadillo. I had the chicken sandwich. It was fantastic. You know? And so for me, you know, um, traditionally just growing up, anytime we had something to celebrate, we went out for dinner and I am one of four kids you know, we're all like, you know, one between the first and last, we're like four years, right? So um, we would go through high school and then everyone graduated at the same time and then everyone left university at the same time. And, you know, uh, so there was always, we we're just always going out. So when I left home, <laughs> I did not have the same money that I had when I grew up, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm I was by no means in a poor spot. Like I landed well and, and all that kind of a thing, but I very quickly realized how difficult it was to live within my means because I was so not used to it. And I didn't, and that's long before I started tracking it. And so once I was actually on my own and actually responsible for money, and now I was digging into my savings, like I had to go into, you guys have your 401k up here. We call it RSPs. I had to take half of it, you know, and to my eternal shame, I went through half of my retirement savings and have struggled to get it back up to um, even close to where it was before because I panicked. And, you know, if I could go back to like 10, 12, 15 years ago, 20 years ago to my former self and say, hey girl, like, you know, take this strategy. Now, one thing, The Richest Man in Babylon, which I just finished reading, which I always feel like I'm like the last person in the world to read these really important books. Um, but I got there eventually. <laughs> You know, one of the things um, I'd love to hear your opinion on it in terms of like, okay, um, so we may have screwed up coming to this point, but going forward, how do I systematically save that 1000? One of the things it talks about, and again, this is nothing new, but you save 10% of whatever money you have coming in. So even if it's, you know, up here in Canada, we have the CERB checks, you have your, um, your stimulus checks, uh, you can still save a portion of that. Um, and then, you know, when it, it talks about if you do have debt, like credit card debt or whatever, that you assign 20% of your income to paying back those debts, you know, until such time as they're finished. And then you go back to living at the 90%, but always keeping that 10% saving. What's your opinion on that? And do you have another strategy or, or some other thing that you make as part of your recommendations? Well, Rebecca, I definitely believe in the save 10% principle. And a lot of times, again, people will say, well, Carol, I, I, I can't start with 10%. Do you see how much debt I have? 
So my thing with people is this, okay, you know, I'm, I'm big on metrics. So it's like, you got the goal, so you know where you're going, but you got to get there, even if you hump along, you, you've got to get there. I will tell a person, even if you have to start with $5 a pay period, start with the $5. And here's why. The amount is important ultimately, but it's the habit of saving that we're after. It's the mm -hmm. habit. So if the habit is $5, ultimately the habit will become the 10% as you are paying your debt down. Um, one of the things I'm going to talk about uh, during my time with the summit is a process in terms of how you rapidly pay off your debt. I'm going to actually oh, share that awesome. um, during my time together with you know everyone that will be showing up. So I believe whether you use the richest man in Babylon system or the system I talk about or anybody else's system, as it relates to debt, there needs to be a system that you're creating. As a matter of fact, the way I became the money mender, I don't think I've ever shared this uh, with you, Rebecca, but I became the money mender because I graduated from college with too many credit cards and too much consumer debt. Now, I graduated with a degree in accounting, but here's the thing. Accounting from an academic perspective is all about analyzing data. It is not about managing money. It's about teaching you how to analyze the data for somebody else. So while I had this amazing Bachelor of Science degree in a field that people would think, how in the world could you walk across the stage and turn your tassel to the other side with 19 credit cards and $30,000 of unsecured debt? Yes, don't have a heart attack, dear. 19 credit cards? Yes, because I entered college in the era where you were given pre-approved credit cards as a freshman in college with no job. And even if you had a job, it was work study, which you might have made $50 a month. How can you have credit cards? So every time we had registration for the semester to start, the financial institutions were doing us a disservice because the more cards they opened for students who didn't know any better and didn't have any knowledge about money, and then the institutions will be paid money from the financing institution, a percentage every time they got somebody to say yes to a card. We were set up to fail as college students with no job, with no income. We had not come out of school yet. So here I am in this predicament, so when I graduated from college, the pressure that you talk about, the choking that you were talking about, that feeling was overwhelming for me. And so I had to create a system to work myself out of debt. And that system ultimately became my business. For a minute, I didn't realize I was in business because I was so busy getting out of debt. And then I started helping other people use this system that did the same thing that I did in college. And I said, oh, I can show you how to get out of debt because now I'm the expert, I'm the professional. So I'm in my mid-20s teaching people how to do this. And one day I woke up, I said, I think I have a business. I think I need to do something different. I think I need to start charging people for this amazing information. So I, like you in a different kind of way, Rebecca, I know mm -hmm. what it feels like 
to be sinking deep in debt for every dollar that I earned when I got out of college. Cause I was able to get a job in like two weeks, you know, back when I graduated from college, getting a job was a piece of cake. But mm -hmm. every single dollar that I made, I owed to the point that I had to create a spreadsheet and determine what day I could release a check based on around when I got a check and which one of them could get paid. That was driving me absolutely insane. That is not how you're supposed to live your life in your 20s. So, yeah. No. Oh, amen. Amen to that, man. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was in my thirties when I was kiting credit cards. I didn't have 19 of them. I had three or four of them. And there was just basically, it was like a shell game um, until my banker was just like, okay, we're going to stop this shell game, close out all the credit cards and put it on a loan that I had to systematically pay every single month for five years before I could get rid of it. And that was probably at around 20, 25,000. Um, and that was just the, my first round through, you know, taking care of that. Well, Carol, I am super pumped to hear more about you, what you have to say in the Take Charge Challenge. Good folks, I just put in the comments uh, the link for the Take Charge Challenge. Uh, Carol is one of the most amazing money speakers I have ever heard. So inspiring. I've had the pleasure of listening to her on multiple occasions just as we're getting ready for the summit. It is taking part uh, the end of this month, September 29th, 30th, and October the 1st. There are 12 amazing coaches. You will hear from some of them over the next couple of weeks as I introduce them to you so you can get to know them and really decide uh, whether the challenge is something you need, which fun fact, it is. So Carol, do you have any last words that you wanna share with people before we sign off for the evening? Yes, Rebecca, I would just like to remind everyone, you know, although we're in a pandemic season, Definitely, like never before, this is the time to take charge of your money because for many people, the pandemic has been a wake-up call that we cannot live off of 100% of the monies that we have available to spend. If you take nothing away from what Rebecca and I have shared tonight, it is uber important. It is a sense of urgency that you make a decision not only in your personal life, but in your business life. You need your own personal financial stimulus. It is not the government's responsibility to make sure you have a financial stimulus because the government can do only so much for the people at large. You have to develop a mindset that a percentage of the money that I generate in my life has to be set aside as my rainy day fund. Because if you live long enough, I promise you, you will have a rainy day. And that's what <laughs> I want to say, Rebecca. Thank you so, so much, Carol. Yes. Uh, and I've had, I'm sure we've all can remember our rainy days and it'd be nice to have a little bit more blue sky. Thank you so much for sharing. So guys check in the comments, the takechargechallenge.com join up. Um, it's 50 bucks to get in. If you want the VIP, it's $147 of money, incredibly well spent. You'll get all the recordings for all 12 coaches. Plus you'll get free copies of at least six books all written by some of the people who are going to be presenting, uh, mine included. Right. So, um, and, and so anyway, enough said about that. I just get so excited, uh, thinking about what's coming up. Have a great night, everybody. And Carol, thank you once again for joining.